Before I read today's passage, um, I want to mention that today is the last sermon uh, on this series we've been doing in the first two months of the year on the life of Abraham. I have loved studying and teaching this. I've learned so much. And I think this, these stories, these biographical stories from the Old Testament, they just, there's something about them that they put flesh and bones on what the life of faith looks like. And especially in the life of Abraham, we see both uh, his faith and his failure. We see his courage, his great courage, and his fear. It's really, it's, it's, it's beautiful. He goes from this moon-worshipping pagan uh, to this great life of, of faith, the father of the faithful. Well, so let me just kind of cover a little ground from previous and then the end of the story of Abraham, and then I'll read today's story which I do think is a fitting conclusion to this sermon. Uh, Last week we looked at Genesis 19, which was Abraham praying for the people of Sodom. Um, That prayer goes unanswered because there are not ten people. It's answered in the negative. Sodom is destroyed. uh, Genesis chapter 20, Abraham fails again, this time with a man named Abimelech. He lies again about his wife trying to protect his own hide. But then the great story, Genesis 21, which we've all been waiting for. If you've been following the story of Abraham, Isaac is born, the son of laughter. What a great name. God laughs. What a great name for a son is born in Genesis 21. Genesis 22, we will see in all of its glorious and horrifying detail in just a moment. In Genesis 23, uh, Sarah, Abraham's wife, dies. She dies. And actually, it's interesting, uh, one of the significant things about that story is that Abraham actually buys a piece of land. He's been in the land of promise for 25 years, but he's owned no land, and he negotiates for a burial plot for his wife. It's the first foothold that God's people have in terms of real estate in the promised land. Genesis 24 is a story of getting a wife for Isaac, Rebecca, and then in Genesis 25, Abraham dies. One of the things I love about when the heroes of God die is that they are buried. Uh, God buries one servant and raises up another. Uh, no sooner has Abraham been buried than Isaac is raised up. Isaac dies, Jacob is raised up. Later in the story, uh, Moses died and Joshua is raised up. There is, no, there is no essential person. God buries one servant and raises up, uh, and raises up another. But well, let's turn our attention to... Genesis chapter 22. I'll read the first 19 verses of Genesis chapter 22, and then I'll uh, pray for us. This is God's word, and it's given to us in love. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, in his hand, the the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. 
But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket of it by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the Lord, angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. God, as we uh, approach this text, this uh, text that is so difficult on so many levels, I pray that you would be with us. Even we know we won't be able to penetrate the, the mystery of Genesis 22, but I pray that especially on this day, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing to you. God, I do especially in the light of this text want to pray for those today who have longed for children of their own and been unable to have them. God, I pray for all those who have broken relationships with a parent or with a child or children. God, I pray for those who have been taken advantage of or abused by someone in authority with more power than they. And perhaps most of all, God, today we pray for and our hearts are with those who have lost children who have died. God, have mercy in the reading and the teaching of your word. We pray this for Christ's sake, and in his name we pray. Amen. Well, a sermon introduction is designed to get your attention. If you have been listening, I have your attention. This terrifying story. Especially if you are a parent, it is hard to read this story and not shudder. It's especially hard if you have done so to read such a story to your children. This story has haunted Bible readers since the Bible was first published. It's even made its way into popular culture. Leonard Cohen, the Canadian singer-songwriter, wrote a song from the perspective of Isaac. It's called The Story of Isaac. Let me read to you the first lines of that song. The door had opened slowly. My father, he came in. I was nine years old. And he stood so tall above me, blue eyes that were shining, and his voice was very cold. And it goes on to talk about an axe that was made of gold. Soren Kierkegaard, perhaps the greatest philosopher of the last 200 years, the Danish philosopher, wrote an entire book on Genesis 22, trying to make sense of it, called Fear and Trembling. This question, this text has so many questions. Uh, at least it includes these three. Why did God test Abraham this way? It seems so sadistic and unnecessary. 
when you look at it from the perspective of Abraham, why does Abraham not say no? I mean, think about it in the passage that we looked at last week, Genesis 19, Abraham beseeches, he bargains earnestly with God for the sake of the evil sodomites. He'd be, you know, he's begging God. And here, just obedience, obedience, no, no. But then maybe most perplexing, why does the author of Genesis, Moses, include this story? A casual reading of this story just reflects so poorly on Abraham and on God. Why include this story of Abraham and his son Isaac? I've listened to and read many sermons through the years, and today's sermon is a little bit like a quilt. I will say very little that is original to me today. I feel like I'm taking a bunch of pieces from other people and sewing them together. Uh, the, the thing that's original today is the stitching, the outline, the organization. But here's what I want us to see in this chapter. I want us to see the horror of Genesis 22. I want us to see the challenge of Genesis 22, and I want us to see the beauty and the redemption of Genesis 22. But first, the horror. And let's just kind of ease our way into what is really horrible. Uh, the first thing is this. Abraham does not know this is a test. <laughs> uh, as the reader in verse 1, we have the perspective that God was testing Abraham. Abraham does not know that, okay? And so when God speaks to Abraham, it is awful. And the narration just seems to slow down. This is almost written cinematically like a movie script. Listen again to verse 2. This happens a couple of times in chapter 22 where it just slows down. It's, just, it's very artful. Take your son, God says, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, to modern ears and to modern eye, our, our, our readers, it's grotesque. It's abhorrent, right? We put people behind bars who obey commands like this. It is against human nature. I think the most painful point in the, pa in the passage to me is verse 7. My father, daddy, my father, where is the lamb? Then there's a pain and a horror that we don't fully feel as modern people, the pain that an ancient person would feel, to lose your son. Because a son, especially a son, your offspring, meant a couple of things to ancient people that they mean even more so than they do to us. Because first of all, to lose your son was to lose your security. When, Abraham, when this happens, Abraham is over 100 years old. He's over 100 years old. He is an old, vulnerable old man living in a foreign land. Okay? He's surrounded by enemies. He, who knows how well he speaks the language? Okay? He's always being threatened. And here he's losing the prospect of the one who can defend him, his son. There is no social security. There is no IRA. There is no police force. There is no army to protect him. Isaac is his protection. Isaac is his financial and physical security. He's vulnerable, and he's about to lose him at his own hand. And it's not just his security that he loses with Isaac. He would lose his significance. In the ancient world, you were not known for your professional accomplishments, what you had done and accomplished as a person. You were known for your offspring, for your offspring. They were what gave you significance. This is one reason the Bible is so tender, and God is so tender towards uh, barren women. So the significance, the security, Abraham is threatened to lose all of this, things that don't occur to us as modern readers. But then there's the added horror that this behavior is abhorrent to the God of the Bible. This behavior is abhorrent to the God of the Bible. God hates child sacrifice. He makes that very clear. I mean, just one example, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 31, God judges the people of Israel for their child sacrifice. He judges the people for the very activity that is commanded in this text. It's abhorrent to God. 
And finally, there's the particular horror to Abraham. Think about it. Abraham has followed God all these years and made all these moves for the sake of God. And God has always told him that he would bless him. He would make a great nation of him. And that that nation would come through a son. And in chapter 17, which we looked at two weeks ago, chapter 17, verses 16, let me summarize verse 16 to 19 of Genesis 17. God says to Abram, you're going to have a son. And by the way, I'm going to name him. God names Abram. He says, his name will be Isaac. Kings and nations will come through Isaac. And I will make my everlasting covenant with him. You see, before Isaac was even born, God named him. And now God is saying, give him back to me. Offer him as a sacrifice. God is contradicting his own plan. He, it seems to be that the promise, break, break, the promise keeper is not keeping his promise. And then to add insult to energy, his faithful follower, Abraham, is willing to do it. What is, what is going on? What, what, what is happening here? How can we understand this passage? Well, we don't ultimately know, but let me give us two kind of things to think about. The first is this. This passage was written, this story was told by Moses, and it was written during the Exodus generation. The Exodus generation. And what was the great event of the Exodus? The great event of the Exodus was the Passover. The Passover. When the angel, God's angel of death, killed every firstborn in Egypt and passed over the children of Israel who had the blood of a firstborn lamb over the doorframe. Killed the firstborn of Egypt, passed over the children of Israel who had the blood of the firstborn lamb over the door. And you see this throughout the sacrificial system. God is always calling for the firstborn bull, the firstborn lamb, the first grain, the first. Even our tithes is the first fruits of our own income. The first, the first, the first. The biblical principle is that every firstborn belongs to God. It's a debt. The way the New Testament says is that the wages of sin, the wages of sin is death, and the payment is the firstborn. Now, that's not totally satisfying, but this is the reason that this would have made some sense to Abraham. There would have been some rationale for Abraham. Abraham would not have obeyed, I don't believe, if he'd been told to kill his wife Sarah, to offer his wife Sarah. But there's a rationale here that God, there's a debt of sin that is paid by the firstborn. But it still doesn't totally make sense. And that brings us to the second, what is going on here? It is a mystery. <laughs> it is a mystery. That we are walking in the dark with Abraham and with Isaac here. There are sometimes God deals with us in our life and there are no reasons. We never know both before or after what is happening as we pass through the valley of the shadow of death. We just don't know. The story is told, and you would know some of the story of Elizabeth Elliot, some of you. Elizabeth Elliot was a missionary. She died not many years ago. There's a biography written of her uh, not long ago. She had, I think, a couple of biographies written of her. But Elizabeth Elliot, among the many things she suffered in her life, she outlived two and, I think, three husbands. Her first husband, her first husband, Jim Elliot, was killed, was martyred violently by the Aka Indians. Her second husband, I believe, died of cancer, and I believe her third husband also died before she died. Elizabeth Elliot. And so years ago, she, uh, the story is told that she was visiting friends in North Wales. And she saw a shepherd pick up a sheep and put it into a vat of antiseptic. It had to be done in order to keep the sheep from being it, eaten and killed by all sorts of parasites, right? But the sheep would stick up its head for air. And, the and she watched as the shepherd would push its head back down into the vat. 
And she said she wondered if this is what it felt like when your shepherd was trying to kill you. And she said, oh, I know. I know that feeling. There are some times when God's ways are past our finding out and we just don't know. And like Job, we put our hand over our mouth and we just, we hold up our hands. Why is God doing this? We just don't fully understand. And it's some of that, that, that mystery of it that actually brings us to the challenge of Abraham, which is the second thing I'm going to talk about is the challenge of Genesis chapter 22. Now consider again what Isaac meant to Abraham, okay? This was his son, his only son. It was his security. It was his significance. It was his all in all. It was his ultimate. I mean, think about even in today's age. Uh, I was reading something about the Tudors not long ago and just the, the, the links they went to to protect the royal children. I mean, you do anything to protect your child. It's not hard to imagine in in Abraham's case that Isaac has captured his imagination more than God's. Which is to say that God's gift, the gift of this son, has become something ultimate, non-negotiable. The functional trust of Abraham. The thing around which his life centered. And so in love, God comes to Abraham and says, I need you to give it back to me. And what does Abraham do? He quietly obeys. Again, the narration slows down. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place where God had told him. In the face of perplexity, he trusts God and he obeys. The narrative even gets more harrowing. Verse 7. Again, I told you, this is the verse that gets me. Isaac said to his father, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them went on together. I think about this passage a lot. I really do. <laughs> um, I think about Abraham walking up the side of that mountain. Every step, a step of faith, not knowing what the result would be, just keeping on walking. How much courage and pain it must have took to walk up that mountain, not knowing what would happen. And then they get to the top, verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abram had built the altar there, and they laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abram reached out his hand, and he took the knife. Thank God we have verse 11, this merciful release valve. The angel of the Lord called him from Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And he sees the ram in the thicket. He releases Isaac, sacrifices the ram, and then he names the place the Lord will provide. But even with the release valve, that doesn't, this is a terrifying passage. And here is the challenge for us. I think there's at least three things in this passage that challenge me, and I would imagine they challenge you. And the first is this. Abraham trusted God. Period. Full stop. <laughs> Abraham trusted God. Period. Full stop. Look with me. Verse 5. This is fascinating. He says to the servants at the bottom of the mountain, he says, the boy and I will go over there. We will worship and we'll come back to you. 
There is a hint in verse 5. We don't, it's not clear that Abraham is trusting God that somehow that God is good and he would do right and somehow rescue his son Isaac. The New Testament certainly interprets it this way. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, it says, Abraham considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead. We're not exactly sure, but here's what I do think. I like what one preacher says, that Abraham had complete uncertainty and complete confidence mixed together. Complete certainty and complete confidence. He trusted that God was good, and he obeyed, full stop. And this trust is born of confidence in God's word and also of walking with God all these years. Abraham would not have been able to do this as a young man. I'm convinced he wouldn't have been able to do this. He had to walk for years with God to get to this point, to trust and obey. The pattern in Abraham's life, like the pattern in your life and mine, is that God calls, we answer, the relationship and our assurance of that relationship deepens. Allison, I have a friend uh, who, I didn't tell her I was going to tell this story. She, she'll know who I'm talking about. Um, we have a friend who struggled with big decisions and had a lot of drama around the, the men in her life. And this is a decade or so ago. And so uh, at her wedding, uh, everyone like, well, is she going to go through with it? We don't know. Uh, there's a real open question. So you get to the wedding. I remember where I was. I remember what I was wearing. I was watching my watch, you know. Wedding's 10 minutes late starting. Uh, then it's 20 minutes late starting. You're like, this could happen. Uh, 30 minutes. Did we have a runaway bride? No, we didn't. She, something had happened with her dress. And afterwards, in talking to her, she said, you know, no, I was not anxious at all. God has been faithful to me in the past. And yes, this is a big day. Yes, this is a scary moment. But I have trusted what God has done for me in the past. And therefore, I'm able to take this big decision and walk down this aisle. And it's been beautiful what God has done in their family. They've adopted two boys from Haiti. They live this beautiful, full life. But she had to keep walking. She had to keep trusting. I think one of the greatest ways that we can learn to trust God is to look at our past. I think about this whenever I face a big decision. Like, has God ever been unfaithful to me? Can't really think of it. God has always been faithful, even in the darkness, even in the hard times. God is faithful. Abraham trusted God because he trusted God's word, but also because he had walked with God for those many years. Are you able to trust God more and more, even in the dark? The second challenge is this. The second challenge of Abraham is this. Abraham chose God over everything and everyone. He chose God over what was the temptation to be his ultimate. Again, in the eyes of Abraham, Isaac was everything. He was significance. He was security. He was income. He was physical protection. He was his offspring. He was the seed of promise. He was every. It's hard for us to imagine. I can't illustrate what Isaac must have meant to, to Abraham. I can't even illustrate it. And God says, that's your number one, your ultimate. I need you to give it to me, to offer it up as a sacrifice. And Abraham's hands are loose enough on the gifts of God that he is willing to let go of his son, this gift, the seed of promise that he obeys. His hands were loose on the gifts of God. So oftentimes God gives us these good gifts and we cling to them instead of letting, having open hands, willing to let them go. In the, way, in the words of Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I, when I think about this passage it terrifies me. What, what might God ask of me? What might he take from me? It's a little bit of a dangerous uh, operation to get into. I mean, I make my living with my voice. What if I lost my vocal cords? Uh, what if I lost my health? What if I got a chronic disease? What if, God forbid, I lost 
those that I love? What would happen to my faith? Am I able to hold loosely the gifts of God, realizing that God is ultimate, that no thing in my life is ultimate? To hold loosely to the things that I treasure the most. Are our hands loose to the gifts of God? But the third thing, and maybe the most beautiful thing to me is, and this is the challenge, that God keeps calling Abraham. God's like, keep coming, Abraham. Keep following me. Look with me at verse 2. The language of verse 2 is fascinating to me. When God tells Abraham to offer up Isaac, he says, go off to the land that I will show you. If you're a Bible reader and if you've been in this sermon series, those, that language should echo for you. Go off to the land that I will show you. That's an echo. That's almost a direct quote from chapter 12, verse 1, the first time that God spoke to Abraham. He says, come and go to another land that I will show you. And I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless all the nations of the world through you. Chapter 12, verse 1, over 30 years ago, probably 35 years before this moment, God said that almost the exact same thing. Come, go to this land that I will show you. You see, God keeps calling to Abraham. It's almost like he keeps using the same language with him. He keeps calling him to follow in faith. You would think it would be enough that in chapter 12 he walks away from his family, from his wealth, from his land, from his reputation. He walks away from all of that. you think that would be enough. But because God loves Abraham, he keeps asking him to walk, keeps asking him to ask in faith, keeps calling him, keeps calling him. The stakes get higher and higher. And here's the good news, friends. The call never breaks Abraham. It never breaks him. In fact, it takes him to the summit of friendship with God, the only person in the Scripture who is called the friend of God. It takes him to the summit because he keeps on Stepping. I think this is why in John chapter 8, verse 56, Jesus says this about Abraham. Abraham saw my day and was glad. Abraham saw my day, was glad. There's something about Abraham where the things of this world, to quote the old hymn, grew strangely dim in the light of his wonder and face. You see, Abraham was able to look forward through the mists of time by faith and somehow understand the sacrifice that God would make when he gave his only son for the sins of the world. It took him to the very summit of communion, of friendship with God. And it's that summit that brings us to the beauty and the redemption of Genesis chapter 22. And here's the first thing. I love this. The first thing that's beautiful and redemptive about this place. The place is renamed. It's not renamed Abraham Obeyed. You know what it's renamed? God provides. It's renamed God provides. And did he ever. You see, only Moriah is only mentioned one other time in all of Scripture, and it's in Second Chronicles chapter 3. I won't give you all the backstory, but there was a plague ripping through Israel, a plague ripping through Israel, and it stopped at a particular place on Mount Moriah. And because the plague stopped there, that's where they built the temple. And, of course, it's in the temple where the lambs would be sacrificed. And Moriah also happens to be the chain of mountains that includes Calvary, where Jesus died. That other mountain you see, very nearby, where another only son carried wood on his back, on which he would be sacrificed. You know, in our chapter here, in verse 20, chapter 22 and verse 7, Isaac asked, where is the lamb? And Abram spoke more than he knew when he said, God will provide for himself the lamb. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Another preacher imagines Abraham at the foot of Mount Calvary while Jesus is being sacrificed and crucified. 
And then Abraham quoting from his own story in Genesis 22 back to God, saying to God, Abraham to God, you have not withheld your son. You have not withheld your son for me. In the great chapter of faith, maybe the pinnacle of the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, many commentators think that the Apostle Paul is reflecting both on Genesis 22 and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ when he says this, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare, who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not graciously give us all things? You see, the father did not withhold his son. He gave his son, the Lord Jesus, who died for the sins of the world. The father gave his son. And make no mistake about it, Jesus gave himself. That's what we're going to talk about in the Lord's Supper in just a moment. Jesus gave himself, and he gives it for you. And so as I go away on this four, three and a half month sabbatical, I have three words to say to you. God loves you. God loves you. He did not spare his own son for you. God loves you. And maybe you feel like that lamb in the vat whose head just keeps getting pushed back down into the darkness. Not understanding. Or maybe you feel like Abraham who kept on failing, disappointing God, covered up in guilt. Maybe you're covered up in some sort of shame for some secret behavior or something about you. Maybe you're filled with doubts. Maybe you are just numb. God loves you, and he wants a relationship with you. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your friend. And I'll close with this. The great theologian of the 20th century was a Swiss theologian named Karl Barth. Karl Barth, he's, I mean, his, his works, it's just ridiculous how much he wrote. Karl Barth, the great theologian of the 20th century. And somebody asked him, what is the most important sentence or most important thing you've ever heard? And Karl Barth replied, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Friends, that is the most important news. We'll be back in three and a half months, but leave with this. God loves, God loves you. God loves you. He did not spare his only son for you. And he wants a relationship with you. Abraham was called the friend of God. And because we're united to Christ... We can be and are the friends of God. Let me pray for us. Our great God, we thank you that in a passage over which we tremble, there is something about it that points us forward to the great reality that the mystery of all mysteries is not that God asked Abraham to give his son, but that God himself gave his son and Jesus gave himself. God, I pray that for myself and for all those in the sound of my voice, that we never get over the mystery, the love of that statement, that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up freely for us all. Be with us, Lord Christ. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.